Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. I'm very excited today because we have Reverend Lennox Yearwood Jr. with us. He is the president and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus, and they have been working very hard over the past few years to bring issues of environmental justice and climate justice and clean energy issues to the forefront in a very unique way. And the Reverend joins us today. We're going to be talking about uh, their work uh, when it comes to environmental issues. We're also going to be talking about an exciting new partnership that they have with the 100% campaign, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, welcome to Go Green Radio, Reverend Yearwood. I am so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you, Joe. I'm actually thrilled to be here as well. Well, before we dive into the details of your environmental work and your new partnership with the 100% campaign, I'd really like to give you an opportunity to talk to our listeners about the Hip Hop Caucus. Um, You know, many of our listeners may already know who you are and what you do, but for those who don't, give us a little history lesson. How did the Hip Hop Caucus come into being and, and who was involved at the beginning? I mean, the Hip Hop Caucus is first and foremost an amazing organization. Uh, I might be a little biased, but (laughs) it is to me one of the greatest organizations that I've been a part of, and I've been a part of many. Um, It came into existence like most organizations um, in an effort to give um, people in our communities, um, in our country, a voice. Um, Sometimes there are communities who um, don't feel their voice has the same impact um, and so the Hip Hop Caucus was created with a particular segment um, in mind, the hip hop community, primarily young people and young people in urban communities, um, and um, definitely with a 21st century flavor. So recognizing that it was bringing together not just black, but black, brown, and yellow and red, male and female, just young people coming together to help shape policy. Um, and they would use their um, kind of their cultural expression to shape their political experience. And so in doing that, um, utilizing poetry and music and dance um, and anything that was uh, relevant or um, close to them, they would utilize that in, in an effort to then help their shape what's going on in their world. So it could be everything from climate change or climate justice environmental justice, issues of human rights, civil rights, and as well as trying to uh, empower um, our democracy. That That's such a lofty goal, and I'm excited to dig into the details of how you're reaching those goals and how you're engaging these young people. What, you know, what's the overarching mission of the Hip Hop Caucus, and how do you measure success? How do you take a campaign or a project and say... We, we succeeded in this arena. Yeah, well, the Hip Hop Caucus, our success is measured on a layered approach because we have there's the individual success that we get when we're able to uh, go into communities across this country. Um, currently, we have Hip Hop Caucuses in most major cities. So we have Hip Hop Caucus Baltimore, Hip Hop Caucus Los Angeles, Hip Hop Caucus Chicago, and folks, if they want to see more of that, they can go on our website at hiphopcaucus.org to see all of our 
about caucuses, cities across the country. But on an individual basis, we, we measure that because we go into communities, sometimes communities that have been very much oppressed and depressed for a variety of reasons. And, and a lot of times, people who have lost hope in the system. And so we go into these communities to, again, tell them that you have the power and to never lose hope in the system and to never give away your ability to make change. And so we go into the community and we measure that simply by just the numbers we can reach by going mm-hmm. in to see how many folks we can get registered to vote, how many people we can get to pledge to vote, um, how many people in the community out there organizing to create change, either for climate change or to uh, issues of human rights. And so we measure on the individual basis of how many people we're, we're just growing as a movement. And we're, we're growing, that's for sure. Um, but on the other side, as an institutional um, success, I think that it's very unique. I mean, clearly, because we are a 21st century organization, um, you know, we measure ourselves as an institution against the success of those who come before us, clearly, those who were successful in the 20th century, those who were fighting against, you know, racism and fighting for equality. Um, the difference, though, is that in the 20th century, while they were, and we still are fighting for equality in the 21st century, but primarily the difference, though, is that while they were fighting for equality in the 20th century, um, and imagine their success about, you know, how they could be segregate lunch counters or how they could, you know, make sure that schools, all schools would be equal. Um, and they, we had tremendous success because we as Americans came together. But now we're making success not just based upon equality, as it was in the 20, 20th century, but for this generation existence in the 21st century. So we're just fighting how well can we have an impact for climate change for this generation? How well can we ensure that the water is clean so that it wasn't flint or the air is, is clean so we can really recognize that climate change is a civil rights issue and people have a right to clean air and a right to clean water. How well are we dealing with issues so that not only our folks in the community, particularly those of color, feel safe, but how well can we make sure that our criminal justice system actually works for all people? So on an institutional aspect, we're fighting, um, I think, on, for success. And then the third layer, how we measure our success will be one, from individual, two, for as an institutional, and then three, as a movement. I think it's a movement. I think one of the things for us that we are measuring success because how well we can break down the silos within mm-hmm. a movement. Um, we have seen um, many times that our movement can be, uh, this is a progressive movement, can be siloed. In other words, you can have one group here talking about climate change, another group over here talking about climate justice, one group over here talking about immigration, another group over here talking about criminal justice. And so we measure our success as well, how well we can merge and break down silos so that it's not so strange when you see a very diverse audience at a climate change rally. That's so strange when different cultures from indigenous communities, from those out of Houston, from those in Vermont are all coming mm-hmm. together to fight, um, fight for the same common goal. And so we measure our success on those three levels, both on the individual, on the, on the institutional, and on the movement. Well, and I love that because, uh, you know, that that's really the mark of a mature organization, um, you know, that you that you look at those various layers and, and track those layers. And I think that's that speaks to the sustainability of your organization that you're able to 
you know, measure and track those various um those various measures. Now, we're going to get into your environmental work in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a chance to tell our listeners about a couple of your current campaigns. Uh, they'll find it on your website, hiphopcaucus.org. One's called Respect My Vote, and the other one's called Supreme Justice, and I'd love for you to touch on those uh, for just a moment before we move into talking more about your environmental work. Yeah, Respect My Vote, I see a fun. Well, we have fun. That's one thing. So we we recognize that sometimes these are very, very serious issues, and sometimes the outcomes aren't always positive. They are, so it is sometimes a matter of life and death. And so in that, as much as we can bring in culture and kind of have fun with some issues, we try um, to do that. And so one of the things with respect to my vote, um, one of the very serious issues of that, of voting, it has been about how we have not been able to get ex-offenders to be a part of the political process. And so mm-hmm. in 2008, we realized that we wanted to reach out and get as many people who were ex-offenders, who had done their time, who had paid it to society, to then kind of use it as a way to kind of rehabilitate themselves and their community to get back into the political process, to basically leaders voting and caring again about what, how their voice can make an impact. And what we realized that there were many places where ex-offenders, even when they had done everything they need to do, um, they couldn't vote. And it was, just, it was disparate based upon certain communities and certain states. And so we began to work very hard to want to identify that, which, which one of those states um, were literally not allowing for people to vote. And then we began to want to change the policy. And so the Respect My Vote came, campaign came out of that, as well as other issues as far as voting rights um, um, being rolled back to do the voting rights legislation, uh, being rolled back, and also many laws are being put forth not to encourage voting, but to actually shrink voting. So we began to have this vote campaign. We, many of our celebrities, and they would do like you know videos and mm-hmm. and yeah. and fun things like that. And right now we're actually on tour with Wiz Khalifa and Snoop Dogg, uh, the <laughs> High Road Tour, and so it's a awesome. great affair. And and they're and they're encouraging. Uh, people to, to get out. But also, in doing that, we also help shape artists, too, because as we're engaging artists, kind of find out from them what's important to you. And if you know Snoop Dogg, if you know Wiz Khalifa, cannabis and yeah. uh, legislation is very important to them. And we didn't yep. look at that. So, so we didn't look at things like Denver and other places and see how that can be kind of added into the platform as well. Again, using one's cultural expression shape one's political experience. And so the my vote campaign is, has been going around the country with the Wiz Khalifa and Snoop Dogg tour, but also with other artists like Vic Mensa and Kiki Palmer. And you, they go around individually to really encourage people. Because ex-offenders, Charlemagne, the guy who's a wonderful radio host in New York uh-huh. and on MTV, he's an ex-offender. And so he's also reaching out to the ex-offenders um, like himself to say that, hey, um, I'm back in the game. You get back in the game. Yep. I saw the video, uh, I think, on your YouTube channel uh, with him, and, and he had some great things to say. Really great he things does. to say. He, he does. And that leads to supreme justice, which is, again, we are trying to educate our community on every branch of government. Um, I do know, you know, Congress, and they definitely know right now voting for the president. But I think they also need to understand this, the judicial branch of government. And so... Right now, it's a little broken. We have not filled all the seats for that. And that actually has a huge impact, again, on democracy. And so we've just been pushing, not in a way for Democrat or Republican, 
but literally as an American push that we have to ensure that these that these things are are, are filled and so with supreme justice. We've been actually educating communities about what Supreme Court is, how that works from top to bottom. Another reason why I should vote, voting for your judges on a local level um, mm-hmm. and on a state level, um, but also in, 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 in encouraging people to not only encourage the members of Congress to do their job to put forth a Supreme Court justice, um, but also, more importantly, for people to understand how that judicial branch works um, and right. how that actually has an impact on their lives. Now I want to uh, switch gears just a little bit because you've just announced a really cool new partnership with the 100% campaign. And I saw pictures online of a, of a cap that you have for sale. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners, you know, where they can find more information online, but also how the proceeds for that campaign will be used. Yeah, well, you know, we're very, so with this, my background, if you listen, don't know, I'm originally from Louisiana. I'm from the great town from I would have never known that by your <laughs> by your southern draw. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, one of the things there, being from Louisiana, having family clearly from Shreveport, Baton Rouge to to Monroe to New Orleans, I think that you know you have seen the effects of climate change um, on our community. You've seen it from the BP oil spill. You've seen it from what we call Cancer Alley. Um, the chemicals that are causing so many of our communities to have asthma and cancer and bronchitis and emphysema. We also definitely saw it from Hurricane Katrina um, almost about 10 and a half years ago, in which we saw particularly how these superstorms can really devastate our communities for years because people have never gone back home after Katrina hit on August 29th, um, 2005. And so I think that, you know, we're in a position right now um, that we want to definitely bring forth this message of that climate change is serious and that if we don't do something about it, we don't transition from fossil fuels to clean energy when we can, when we have renewables, when we have the ability to do that, um, that it will have devastating effects on the next generation. And so for us, there is, this is a, no, this is a not, no-brainer. It's a critical issue. It's, it's something that's the bedrock of our organization. We've done many things that I'll get into around to help push that forth, but for us, transitioning from fossil fuels to clean energy is the number one thing. And so in that, um, kind of with the layer that was before, as an institution, we, we worked with many organizations and breaking down those silos. So one of our, my friends is Mark Ruffalo, who works with Solutions, who actually kind of runs, I guess, the Solutions Project over there with many of the great people over there. And um, we've been pushing with the 100% campaign with many groups are part of that, that mission about going 100% renewable, about transitioning completely off of, of fossil fuels and doing it in a way which we, we, we're not saying today or tomorrow, we reckon that there's a transition, but begin the transition and looking at the time frame and the policies, the local, state, federal, but also the world level of how we can do that in a very uh, methodical but really clear way of moving toward um, 100% renewable. And so in doing that, we know we have to build up our community to just know that that's an issue. And so right. we begin to work with um, New Era. Um, so we, New Era is one of the, if you, if you know anything about hip-hop, we, we love sneakers and baseball caps. And so, <laughs> so, so, we, so, we, so New Era is probably one of the most that people get. And so we work with them. Uh, again, working out silos, working across from corporations to other community partners. Working with New Era, we established a new hat that was designed um, by many of the, some of the artists. I added a little two cents in there. I'm sure certain things. 
Um, and we created this amazing hat um, called Think. It was kind of like Think, the word Think. And in the word Think has the word 100% in the word Think. It was kind of like a thinking cap, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a thinking mm-hmm. cap to think about, about how we can go 100% renewable. And so it's kind of a cool hat. It really looks really nice so that young people can want to get the hat and kind of just, and it would say rocket with in the, in the everyday world, but also be a, a conference, a, a conversation starter with our community. So we did that, and the proceeds from that literally go to the campaign to help really fund the work and the movement around this about what we're trying to do for the 100% campaign. And so, you know, that's one thing we realized that it's very difficult uh, sometimes to have the resources and infrastructure. And so we can do two things. We can actually create a hat that will allow for people to be excited about the campaign, be rocking the hat as far as apparel, and also help fund the movement to help build more awareness and education and advocacy around the issue of how we go from uh, fossil fuels to clean energy. And so it's just a win, win, win on all fronts. And so we launched that hat with our our great partners at Solutions Project, and um, and that has been wonderful. But we've done many of those things with many partners. We had a mm-hmm. last year we had an Act on Climate tour that we did with um, particularly a, a, around the issue of bringing awareness around solar and other renewables as well. We actually went to communities that were hard hit um, with the Black Lives Matter uh, crisis, and we went to those communities to kind of bring them together to say that listen. This is important regarding the issues of criminal justice, but let's also discuss climate justice and see how they come together. So we had a tour and we worked mm-hmm. with people like Solar City and other groups and other organizations in which we went to like New Orleans and then Ferguson, Baltimore, St. Louis, um, Chicago, New York, um, and ended up in, in California, again, raising the awareness. And so that was kind of the, yep. the, the impetus of the, of the hat. I love it. And the hat is super cool. I mean, I, my son wants one, so that speaks volumes to me. So it's a cool hat. It's a cool cap. It really is. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Reverend Yearwood. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. 
stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Reverend Yearwood, and he is the president and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And you can find their website, which is awesome, at www.hiphopcaucus.org. You know, Reverend, you're doing this campaign with the 100% campaign, and for such a long time, clean energy just I mean, it's not something I hear, you know, in the soccer field as a soccer mom. It hasn't been something that everyday people talk about in the course of an average day. And the closest that most people get to clean energy is seeing some solar panels on a building or on a home. But you're helping to bring the concept of clean energy to a whole new audience in a really unique way. And I'd like for you to talk to us the way that you bring this to your audience. What would it mean to all communities, but particularly, you know, the hip hop generation that you're talking to, what would it mean if 100% of the people could afford to power their lives on 100% clean energy? Well, it would have uh, multiple uh, effects of impact. I mean, the, the most important impact for many of those people who would, who would transition to clean energy would be that one, they would probably see that utility bill go get lower. And in some cases, actually get money back <laughs> if they're actually getting, yep. if they're actually feeding the grid. So that's, that's, there's, that's, there's a great incentive to the many jobs that can be created in this. There's, a, there's an economic boom that can be that can be created from this as well. Many people can transition to helping create this green economy and helping to create uh, a transition to renewable. Um, and then for many people in communities of color, it is also an entrepreneurial green component to this as well. I mean, I think that as we move from kind of oil and coal and gas from the fossil fuels and that, you know, that literally, which it is is what it is, it's fossil. And we move from that fossil uh, fuel industry, I think that as we're moving there, there's a new way that there'll be new technology. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that with electric cars. We're seeing that with solar. We're seeing that with so many different things. And so I think this also is a a great thing to help create that entrepreneurship in in our country and in the world. I think also then there's the health effects. I mean, clearly people, it's very clear from many, from almost every doctor and nurse around the impacts of asthma and, and emphysema um, and bronchitis and cancer, which is caused by pollution. Um, and so if you can help fight poverty on the one hand with the green economy, but also fight pollution, what better way than to help fight poverty and pollution at the same time? So that's a win-win-win there as well. And I think that the third and most important thing is for future generations. Um, you know, I'm on the phone now. I'm, I am clearly a, a person of color from the South. Um, and so for me, the legacy of those who fought to end things like slavery, both black and white, those who are courageous enough to say, hey, this is wrong. Um, morally wrong. This is just wrong. And they, they did it. So today, you know, not only do I sit here, but there's a, a person of color who sits in the White House. And so mm-hmm. that's an amazing thing to see that transition. But it took those at that time 
to see what it could be. Same thing for us. We need to be as courageous as they were back then, fighting for women's rights, fighting for to end things like slavery, as we as they were in the 20th century, 19th, 18th centuries. We must be that way now, so that the next generation can see our our courage um, when we're long gone from this planet, uh, or at least from this state, and we've moved on. They can look back and say, "Wow, thank you." Their children's children can say, "Thank you," because of your courage and standing up to. You know, at that time, the fossil fuel industry and those who wanted to continue to pollute and then just continue to make money off of what's down in the ground. So using what's above the ground, um, you know, we now have, we now, we now live. Florida is still here. You know, Long Island, the Hamptons are still here, parts of California. Um, and we're seeing the effects right now. This is a real situation. Um, there's a great group we work with, with 350.org, and one of their mm-hmm. things is utilizing that number because it kind of, denotes 350 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere and how much that's the safe limit or the kind of safe limit. And we're right now at literally teetering at 400 parts per million, kind of going up and down. So we're beyond that. And so, um, you know, and so I think one of the things um, in that process is that, you know, we have to just really recognize that we're approaching now this climate change, but climate catastrophe. And it's yeah. a part of the world in India. You hear the, you hear the devastating stories of, you know, the heat literally being at 120 degrees, sometimes 125 degrees in yes. India, where you have farmers whose land is so parched, they literally can't make any money. They're committing suicide. Farmers are some of the most strongest people in our community. Um, they're committing suicide. Children are now drowning themselves, trying to get away from heat now. And so this is wrong. This is, this is not the way we should be. We should let our world go forth when we can create a change. If there was no alternative, that's one thing. But because there is an alternative, because we can go to clean energy, we should go in that direction. Well, and it's, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, carbon isn't pollution. You know, we exhale carbon. Uh, you know, it's, you know, we are made of carbon. So what's the big deal? But, you know, as one of the articles that I read that you you penned in um, Ebony Magazine illustrates burning fossil fuels, hydrocarbon fuels does pollute the air and directly impacts people's health right now. And, And I'd really like for you, if you're comfortable, to share a story that you wrote about presiding over a 14 year old girl's funeral. And it so tragically illustrates what many Americans are living with every day. But conversely, I think what many Americans have no idea is occurring. And I really do feel like that's a big part of why there's such division right now in our, in our nation. We don't understand how different, you know, our lives are sometimes along these issues. And so if you would tell us that story, Reverend Yearwood, I think that would really help underscore, you know, why clean energy is such an important issue in the fight for environmental justice. Yeah, no, most, most definitely. I think, and this is really listen to carbon, there's something called particulate matter, which is very fine. You really can't see it, but it's, it's, it's literally, that's the thing that helps to cause asthma and bronchitis. And, and that's, that's kind of blown out there. It's the little, it's, it's just a fine dust, um, but it's pollution. And that pollution floats. Um, and it's literally why when you have EPA or other agencies who have an air quality alert, um, a lot of times because that particulate matter there's so much into the atmosphere. Um, it really causes it really hard for those who have respiratory problems to breathe. And, you know, there are 
coal-fired power plants um, that are put in communities. And 68% of people of color, particularly African Americans, live within 30 miles of these coal-fired power plants, even more for the the, the, the Latino community in some cases. And so when they're living so close to and these coal-fired power plants, is spewing this pollution, spewing this matter into into the atmosphere, which causes extreme asthma for many. And it's the reason why there's such a high case of asthma in urban communities from Camden to to Newark to Detroit to Chicago. You have this, and because of that, it causes it causes an epidemic in regards to how children can breathe, which is one of the reasons why we say that climate change is a civil rights issue. Because mm-hmm. it literally is, people have a right. <laughs> they have a right to clean air. They have yep. a right to clean water. And your zip code shouldn't be determined if you, if you can breathe or not, or if you have clean water or not. So the situation is for me is that, you know, I mean, I've been in so many, you know, situations where I've had to, from people who have been Christian survivors, um, to many children. There's one young lady in a situation who had asthma, and she just stuck out because if you're, she was in a community that was very, very poor in D.C., and, you know, her mother, um, you know, had a n- number of children. And um, this young lady was this, I don't want to say she was the good one, but, you know, she has, you know, the mother had a few rough ones. Let me just say that. She was the one who was probably, you know, probably would go to college, was the one who would help her mother um, with the other children to go get her big brothers and big sisters to get them off the corner. They were acting up and they was, you know, whatever. But she had asthma. But her mother had to make a choice. Um, literally, they could make a choice. She didn't know actually that she lived close to a power plant. Um, this is in southeast D.C. in that in that area. But um, her child had asthma, and so she had to play Russian roulette with this child. In which, um, you know, do I get this child's inhaler, or is it a good week? Um, can I afford it? Because you know, I have other children, uh, or can she make it? And unfortunately, um, she lost. And, and uh, she came over, that child died in the living room. And so that mother was just devastated because this is somebody who's a child who was, you know, had so much potential for, for what we do. And so in that process, as, a, as they asked me uh, to help with the funeral, um, this mother tried to climb into the casket. Because she was like, I, 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 if, you're any, if you know mothers, I know, mm-hmm. and, uh, there's a group, um, you know, uh, Clinton and Moms, Mm-hmm. Uh, who I know works great, does great work, but just in a, any mom, I don't care if you're a Republican, I don't care who you are. If you're a mom and you got a child, and your child dies um, in your living room floor and you have to die, that's devastating because you either couldn't afford to pay for the medicine or more importantly, shouldn't have been in a situation where we could be in a better position of, of not using that, that pollution. Um, and, and find the same way to power our air conditioners or power our batteries or our phones. And so, you know, this mom, wanted, this mom wanted to leave. She wanted to get in that casket with her. Initially, the casket was almost falling over. And this is mm-hmm. a better way. I think this is a better way. We see this too many times in our communities. And this is something that I think there's a problem within the climate change movement. I think that they sometimes are dealing with, as an environmental movement, they're only dealing with the environment in regards to right. our relation to nature. Not doing the, doing the the entire environment, the social environment, the other yeah. environments that are that are entangled in the environment that we should also deal with, and I think that's a bit of a problem. And so, you know, this is the story that happens way too often around the country. I've heard so many other mm-hmm. stories of young people who have died because of asthma or pollution or gotten cancer or just 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 
all the other effects, you know, we see mm-hmm. of it. Um, out, you know, the story of Eric Garner. Eric Garner is a good example. You know, Eric Garner was in Staten Island. People don't know Eric Garner. He was uh-huh. the, uh, the guy who was choked um, right. uh, on video. And he lived in Staten Island. Staten Island has the most trees in New York City. Because of the pollution, it received an F for air quality. Um, wow. Because of it. So while he's being choked and said, I can't breathe, you know, he had extreme asthma. And even though people could say the reason why, you know, the chokeholds are barred in New York City for police, but even without that, all his children now have asthma. So while he said he can't, he can't breathe, his children still can't breathe. And so mm-hmm. it's an injustice there that how we, we can get upset about one aspect of injustice, but then still on the other, affecting children, we're not getting outraged as well. And so our job is that we want to definitely bring awareness that, you know, we can do better. I think the Clean right. Power Plan that the president has put forth is a great step in that direction. I hope people will support that. I know there are many of the governors who are kind of in cahoots sometimes with the industry are fighting the Clean Power Plan, but I think this is a, a great step in that direction with the Clean Power Plan so we can transition again from fossil fuels to clean energy, and we can certainly fight poverty and pollution at the same time. Well, and what you're doing, Reverend, that I really appreciate is that you're humanizing um you know, climate change, you know, you're right. I think a lot of the environmental movement is very focused on nature, which isn't bad. I mean, we love nature. It's part of creation, you know. know? It's a good thing, though. Yeah, but but humanizing it, putting a face on it, you know, that, you know, pollution and the human suffering that's caused by environmental degradation isn't just happening overseas. It's happening right here in America. And, you know, we have to talk about flint and lead in the water. And and I know that the People's Climate Music uh, piece of your organization has put out a song called Trouble in the Water. Share your thoughts on the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, and, and talk to us about what you believe needs to be done now? Well, I, I just want to share, if, if people haven't heard about people's climate music, it's it's new, you should definitely, and you're, and you're in the environmental movement or in the EJ movement, you should, that should be one of your saved websites, I think, to help you and this go along. I think that and after the People's Climate March in New York City, we really realized that, hey, there isn't a drumbeat. And my, my dear friend, me and Bill McKibben, I wrote an article a while ago, man, a while ago, about this Marvin Gaye, about this, about how he actually created one of the most powerful environmental songs. But it it yes. wasn't John Denver with a guitar. Which not, I like John Denver, but it wasn't John Denver, <laughs> but it, it was Marvin Gaye. And so we were just saying how we need to bring that soul and that energy back into our movement. So we actually penned an article of people, let's get our carpet down, um, that we wrote for the nation magazine many years ago and but that was a thought we anytime me and Bill got together and we're very close so we get together often we talk about how we really need to have you know this music and during the people's kind of march in New York City we said this this has got to be the time we got to move it forward we got to we got to we got to move this process and so I got my dear friend Malik Youssef who's five-time Grammy Award winner wrote songs for Rihanna and Beyonce and Jay-Z and Kanye West um, I asked him if he would, you know, and an environmentalist um, and, and a Republican. <laughs> and, and, so I, and so I asked him if, if he would, if he, you know, you know, he wants to save our planet too as well. I said, hey, we need your skill sets. And so he came on and really helped people come music and use that to create an album at the time that was called Home, Heal Our Mother Earth. Most can get that on iTunes, in which he took kind of old 
uh, protest songs like Big Yellow Taxi and, and, and What's Going On and, and, and Michael Jackson's song and, and got like, people like Neo and Common and others to create this album called Home. Um, and so then further, when the Flip Water Crisis came about, he then uh, got his good friend uh, Common um, involved to help create a song about that called Trouble in the Water. And Common had just done the song Glory that had won the Academy uh, Award. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he he did Trouble in the Water, and they, they put that video out there. And that video actually got over a million views in 72 hours. Wow. Um, it was just amazing, just the response of that, um, bringing awareness. And that we had a petition along with that, petitioning the governor of Michigan to literally create a, uh, restore fun, a restorative fund for those affected by the Flint water crisis and still pushing that and still working with those in Flint. Um, going back there, artists like Rick Mensa and John Connor, who's from Flint, going back to the community, doing everything from passing out water, um, but also raising the issue of climate change and climate justice and pollution and policies. And so we're still there on the ground um, in Flint working that. So it's been, it's been amazing. But more importantly, people's climate music is something that I believe can help really move our movement forward. You know, having people like Leonardo DiCaprio Say so this is one. This is one of the great things for our movement regarding people's kind of music. Um, you know, utilizing that for things around for the how we can do things around divestment was one of our issues about how we've been using that on college campuses, using parties so to speak, and using people's kind of music to kind of have fun occasions to talk about how we can divest and also other issues regarding climate change. And so mm-hmm. it's been just really great. And so it I has. think that we're now creating more music around as well. Well, and I hope you continue to, because I know that for a long time, you know, I've been in the environmental education industry for um, almost 15 years with my organization, the Go Green Initiative, working with schools. And we've been hoping for the 21st century version of Schoolhouse Rock. We all learned yes. the preamble <laughs> by singing it. I remember in junior high being able to write it out by singing the song. We need songs like that that are just as catchy and fun and memorable um, to work on environmental issues. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Reverend Yearwood, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Just in case you've only now joined us, let me catch you up on our topic today. We're talking with Reverend Yearwood, who is the president and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And you can check out their website by going to www.hiphopcaucus.org. And so, you know, Reverend Yearwood, you're a graduate of the Howard School of Divinity. You taught at the Center for Social Justice at Georgetown. Help Mm -hmm. us make the connection between faith, social justice, and and climate and environmental justice. How do all of these issues intersect in a way that helps you inspire the hip-hop generation to get involved? Well, clearly, I mean, climate change is a a moral issue. I mean, it's something that we truly should... should, um, look at it in that, in that lens. It doesn't matter if you are, whatever your belief is, if you're theist, atheist, doesn't matter. I think if you have just a want to see humans do better and not suffer, then definitely you should be concerned. And I think that's one of the things with faith. Faith is kind of helps to ground you um, and gives a little bit of a perspective on issues of morality. But we also recognize it's also a issue of policy. And while sometimes I can't, as the old saying goes, I can't legislate morality, I can definitely legislate um, behavior. And so I think that's why policy is such an important piece to this. So I think if you combine those pieces, in other words, the morality of wanting to create the change, of seeing the suffering of people in our own country, but around the globe, then I think also we can then help do it with policy. We saw that beginning within with, with the France Accord, which was a great one of the great steps um, of that uh, UN convention, but also we're seeing it across our, our land in regards to policy. We saw with the defeat of the Keystone XL pipe, at least the northern part, people in the southern part still are still trying to get rid of that, that, that leg of the Keystone XL pipeline, but we're seeing it around um, on many issues. Um, and so I think that's the key thing. And I would say this, the issue of faith, faith, allows you to speak truth to power. And one of the things for our movement um, that I think we have to address is the issue of what is real climate leadership. I think that that's one of the, the hardest things. Now, I think for many years, our movement really just wanted people to just admit that climate change was real. It was man-made. And I think that, you know, every, every almost, almost every scientist um, or most people now, most country, most leaders around the globe recognize that climate change is real. There's actually one running who doesn't think it's real, but that's another conversation for another day. Right. But, but, but the, the issue here is this, is that for real climate leadership, though, as we move forward, because there is a clock. This isn't an issue that can just be, okay, we can just keep going the same way. If we're really going to get down between 1.5 degrees Celsius, or we're going to really make sure to bring down that carbon parts per million in the atmosphere, bring it down to, to, to 350 or in that range, a safe range. And then we're going to have real climate leadership and that, not just worry about folks who are just climate deniers and say who don't care about the climate or, or they, they know about it, but 
fossil fuel companies are kind of telling them to keep going this way. Mm-hmm. But I think that what's really needed now is for us to say that to politicians or even organizations. Say, hey, you cannot discuss renewables on Monday and then discuss fracking on Thursday. Those right. two things don't those two those two things don't go together. So you're gonna have this is where faith and morality and courage. You gotta stand up now to be a true climate leader. You gotta be okay, I'm gonna be renewables Monday through Sunday. And then <laughs> when there's things that allow from fracking or or pipelines or LNG, uh, liquefied natural gas, it is all these kind of other things that we know is not taking us in the right direction. We can't go that way. And so I think that that's the real thing about what faith and social justice, it brings about courage and about real leadership for our movement. You know, speaking of leadership, in 2013, Rolling Stone magazine named you one of their green heroes. And in the article that they wrote, you made a statement that I would love to have you kind of explain and expand upon for our listeners. Um, I believe you were referencing a Keystone XL protest and you said, what we're seeing now, young people willing to get arrested, it's our lunch counter moment for the 21st century, which is what we need because the situation is critical. For me, if that means literally putting my body against the gears of the machine to stop the madness, that's what I'll do. Help us understand your thinking, Reverend. Inspire us to follow your lead. It really means we have to break out of our, our comfort zone. You know, I was very blessed this year. I was, at one time, I was a young person. I was a White House intern um, with the Clinton administration. And this year, I was recognized from former issues on climate as a White House champion, one of the only people uh, to be recognized as both a White House intern to become a White House champion. And while that was wonderful and great, I was also arrested outside the White House um, fighting against the Keystone XL pipeline, which to me, I'll be more proud of being arrested outside the White House. And I think that's what what this means, is that we can be inside and be comfortable, but we must take our sides outside. Even when we have have access to stuff for folks, a lot of young folks, I know you're listening, just we want to protest, I get it. But for many of us who who, who have access, who are giving something up, that's what it really means. And I think that that's the thing, the lunch counter moment of the 21st century. That if for those who don't know what the lunch counter is, is that, you know, in the 20th century, there were lunch counters where if you were black, you couldn't sit at the lunch counter. Uh, you had to go to the end of the counter to get your food. And many young people, both black and white, came together and said, listen, this is outrageous. And so they began to sit down at the lunch counter. And then they were beaten up. They were arrested. They had food, milk poured on them, all kinds of things that were done to them. But they would keep coming back to that lunch counter. The issue of, of climate change is our lunch kind of for the 21st century, and we have to be as, as firm to stand up to the fossil fuel industry, um, and we must be there to say that, hey, we will not be moved. We have to do, and John Lewis said, we have to cause good trouble sometimes, and we, mm-hmm. must, we, we must go out there and make a stand, and I think that's where we are now for our movement. I'd like for you to kind of help us understand how you define the term green economy and help us also understand what it could mean. If we did transition to a green economy, what that could mean for young people of color who are just starting to enter the workforce? Well, I mean, like anything, it's, it's, it's an industry. And so for young folks or, or old folks, they're interested in the green economy or the renewable economy, it means that, you know, where our economy is really based off a fossil fuel-based economy. You can just, from any 
we do Wall Street Journal, you'll see everything based upon how crude oil goes up and goes down. It impacts mm-hmm. everything in gas as well. And so right now, our, our economy is literally based off of a fossil, fuel in, a fossil fuel economy. But that's not sustainable. And that either runs out or that destroys our planet because of what it would do to heating us up. And so we have to transition. And so in transition, because we have to transition um, off of the fossil fuel-based economy, we now have to go to a green or a clean energy or a renewable economy based upon solar and wind and other renewables. And so I think in that, there is tech- these are clearly industries that are also based very much on technology and they're also industries that are based far with the reinstall things. So basically we have you know, homes that are based upon you know, gas um, and, and coal with you know, refit those homes. And so in refitting these homes and refitting our schools and refitting, uh, redoing things um, uh, that will help us transition, um, this creates jobs. It creates new industries. It creates new opportunities. And so I think that that's why it's so exciting because this will be the industry for the 21st century and beyond. And so if you're a young person, you're an old person, just you're ready for a change, um, this will be that industry. Yep. And by definition, those types of jobs have to be domestic. I mean, you can't send your house overseas to have solar panels installed on it. It has to happen here. No, you can't. You can't do that. But also, the, 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 a lot of things that are being created here too, like anything else, can be sent overseas. So there are certain things that will technology. You know, we say with mm-hmm. Tesla, and we say with other things, technology that can be created here in this country um, that can be sent overseas, which is also very exciting as well um, in this global economy. One of the things that I am very concerned about, and I know you share this concern, is because it's everything that you do, is making sure that every voice is included um, when we talk about you know, environmental protection, when we talk about reducing or eliminating environmental pollution for the well-being of our children and, and future generations. But I think one of the things that you brought up in an article that I read um, is an important point to talk about, and not because I want to focus on the negative of maybe what's been happening with the environmental movement that made it less inclusive than it should be, sometimes blatantly racist. Um, I want to talk about how we can do better from here on out. Talk to us about, you know, when you mentioned this, uh, that the environmental movement has a long history of subtle tactics of exclusion to, at times, blatant racism. Talk to us about how we can do better going forward. What specific things do we need to change about the environmental movement so that it is more inclusive? Yeah, no, thank you for that. I, I'll say this too, just so people are very clear. This, this, this argument is, is being given because we won't win as a segregated, siloed environmental movement. If we want to transition, everything that we discussed um, during the show, uh, if you want that to happen, it will not happen if it's done in silos or segregated, which means that the transition that we're asking the world to make as far as transitioning from fossil fuels to energy, we have to transition from some old things ourselves, some old ways, some, some things where we're comfortable. And that's that just white, that, that goes across the border. If you're black or white or brown or whatever, um, and you have, you're used to doing your way, you have to transition to ensure for this movement, more than any other movement, it must be diverse because it does not win. Because 
the fossil fuel industry is too entrenched, it's too large, and it does not want to give up doing what it's doing because of greed. And so we're going to have to have everybody. And unfortunately, the environmental movement for too long has been just too okay with speaking to themselves, too, just too, too much of going with status quo um, along the lines. And it's just created certain things where it, it hasn't really in, in empowered many folks from other communities. And empowering not just from a usatory, just from a, um, you know, photo op position, but really what does it take to empower? And on top of that, we have one of the most well-funded movements out of any movement. And so we should be in a position that we can begin to reach out across lines to really empower and be patient as we empower other communities to be a part of this movement. And again, if that doesn't happen, we won't win. We should stop. If we're not willing to do everything we can to ensure that our rallies, um, that we reached out across the lines, that we make sure that we've talked about issues that do with environmental justice and climate justice along with climate change. Um, and that we don't look down upon it like it's just like an add-on. Um, I yep. usually use this kind of this metaphor with the uh, the glasses with the little clip-on, kind of like shades. People back in the day used to like this. They didn't, they didn't have sunglasses. They just <laughs> clip on like a little clip-on. But they would take it off on the inside when they were inside. So we can't have a clip-on, clip-off movement. We have to have a movement where the inside the medicine of the glasses and the prescription is that we're all in there together um, so we Love can it. see a fully bright future. Well, I love that. And I've, I can tell you, I've been to many, many conferences and conventions over the years where I look around and it is almost entirely white. And I know why, uh, you know, it's it's the way it's always been. That's where the outreach is. And some of these events are ridiculously costly uh, as well. And so it's just by nature not inclusive. We have one minute left. I wish we had another hour left, Reverend, but in the minute that we have left, talk to our listeners about how they can get involved. Yeah, no, I would say please, please go to peoplescommentmusic.com. Um, check out all the videos there. Um, Anthony Smith, one of our, our great artists, did a video from New Jersey about um, Superstorm Sandy um, mm-hmm. and other things that we've been creating there. Um, please, you know, just, and, and please take serious the, the heat that we, we have to do this together. Um, you know, the future of our, of our, of our planet, the future of our, of our children depends on us coming together. And I know this, we can do it. I've seen it. I know how good it feels. And if we do that, um, the next generation will look back upon us. And we look back upon those who helped us to say thank you. Thank you for a job well done. Thank you for, helping us to be fossil-free at last. Well, bless you, Reverend, for what you do and what you've offered us today. I really appreciate you being on the show, and I appreciate our listeners for being with us as well. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And, in fact, we will be talking about going 100% clean energy. So tune in for that. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.